Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree. I'm so excited about my special guest today because she really is one of the big names, the big contributors to the shock content culture of the 90s. She's an undisputed porn legend holding a world record with her 300 person gangbang. She was a professional wrestler and had quite an illustrious career in the ring. She's now a podcaster, an author, an artist, and I am just so giddy at the chance to sit and host this chat with her. Joining me today is the sensational Jasmine St. Clair. Oh my goodness. Licked and loaded listeners and viewers, you are in for such a treat today because joining me right here on the big screen, we've got porn legend, pro wrestling legend, podcaster, author, artist, uh, the list goes on and on. One would say the undisputed shock content queen of the 90s, Jasmine St. Clair. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. I love your intro. It just, <sighs> it's gotta be like, I don't want, I, I'm just one of those people. I never wanted like one word in any language to describe me. It's gotta be like a few. <laughs> Yeah, and you've definitely granted us a mouthful. You know, when, when anyone tries to introduce the name Jasmine St. Clair, I imagine they go, oh my God, what path do we take? Because your story and your life is just so rich with transformation, rich with very intense adventure. And so I wanna try and get through as much of it as we can today, but I'm sure listeners and viewers are saying, shock content queen. Can you tell us a little bit about that title? Yeah, I would just say like shock culture, the voice of shock culture. And it's something like, I didn't know what I was doing really and creating this whole era of that. But now you look back on that whole time and there's so much of it, like you had Howard Stern, who was like the king of shock, uh, shock jock uh, mm -hmm. radio. You had Springer and I would say Jenny Jones, but I don't think she was doing anything really great with her show. Um, you know, because someone actually got killed, which is really sad. Right. But yeah, you have like Jerry Springer, who's like the king of, uh, you know, shock TV. So we were just doing things so differently then. And being that I was like immersed in that culture and basically created it in so many ways with this, you know, take no prisoners attitude that was authentic. You know, it wasn't organic. Right. You could tell when stuff stage, you know, kind of like how hipsters are these days. They're like, they bear the image of a badass and a rebel, but they're yeah. nothing more than like boring middle of the road people that rip off things from different cultures. Right, right. And and, and so I, I want to follow the lineage here. You're, you're doing, you're working in porn. You're making some really exciting content, the kinds of, I guess, scenarios that audiences weren't really familiar with. You and I had talked about uh, you doing some religious scenes. Of course, your famous, was it 300 person <laughs> gangbang? So we're talking some very shocking material. Now, at what point do some of these more mainstream public access shows like Springer and Stern, when do they start reaching out and why are they reaching out to have you on? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So I was on Springer before I was even doing any of that. I had this manager in Florida who had um, access to that. Now, mind you, when I was working at a strip club in New York in the early 90s at Flash Dancers, which mm -hmm. changed like locales now, um, they had like the Robin Bird show, which I was doing. And then yeah. I went on Charles Perez show. And it was really just funny at the time. And it's just like mocking society. And in a way, you're kind of mocking the people that watch that shit. Because what mm. else do you have going on in your life that you're watching this crap? Like, you really think you're going to have a Springer scenario where they put you there with a total stranger that you're going to pretend is your boyfriend or girlfriend that does not want you taking nudie photos? Right. Chances are probably not. But then as that whole decade like went on, you really do have people going on there. I think it encouraged the butthole of America to come out on national TV and put their shit out there. And, you know, at the end of the day, they just become freak shows um, with Stern. You know, so we reached out to Springer, my agent did with Stern um, usually. OK, so there's this whole thing where you have this secret that people think if you manifest, it will happen. Okay, right. that's partially true, but you actually have to get up off your ass like from Netflix and chill to go do the work. But I kept talking about this whole thing and talking and talking about this film that never even happened. And eventually they reached out to us. Sometimes all it, all it is is just talking, but I feel like these days it's more than just making the noise and doing the smoking mirrors. Like smoke and mirrors, it's such a, it's... um. It's an acquired skill. Right, right. Well, I mean, people don't just get discovered. Us. Yeah, people don't just get discovered these days. Like you actually have to hit the ground running and you have to put some elbow grease into the efforts that you make in pursuing what you want. I love manifesting, don't get me wrong. Yes. And I try to incorporate it, but you have to make some of that push in life. Well, yeah, that's really funny you said that. I don't know if you remember when Uber pool was a thing. Right? I remember. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm leaving um a class in LA, like specifically an improv class. And I was in an Uber pool going somewhere. And um this woman gets in with her in and out cheeseburger in a bag, which is great. Oh, I love wow. in and out, but don't leave your freaking onion smell in the car. Okay. So she comes in there and she's telling the driver who I felt kind of bad for, like how she manifested her pregnancy and all this. And I'm just like, you know what? I have nothing to lose because I'll probably never see these people again. Right. I just turned to her. I said, you didn't really manifest the pregnancy. You just opened your legs and you got fucked. And someone <laughs> came in and you got knocked up. That's how this shit happens. So it's, it's not the immaculate conception. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> like, need, you need to fuck to do it right and when she's like oh but i manifested it i'm like how'd you manifest it like what are you 23 years old 25 you couldn't get pregnant well you're a bit too young to not be able to have that problem so i just went on my whole thing and eventually like it was my stop to get off i'm like you guys have a good day i got a one-star rating um as a passenger in that like i was i was hoping that would happen because seriously even uber drivers when you don't have five stars i kind of don't want to get in your car because i want someone that has some kind of like, I don't know, some kind of history to their driving record with yeah. Uber or Lyft, if yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I think that you, you come at it with a, a sense of like, I wanna, I wanna hit a certain standard here, meaning I want you to be of a certain quality. And you know, that that's 
obviously Uber is very new to some of us, but some of us only know Uber in our life. And now we're seeing more and more in today's culture, this look back at the 90s. Have you been watching any of these shows about like the dark days of the 90s? <laughs> this obsession yeah. with like how 90s fashion is coming back. Like, why are we so hungry to analyze that decade right now? Because we're in a sterile, it's a very good question, by the way. And I, I didn't know I was on dark side of the 90s opening up that whole episode with Trash Talk TV till my friend called me. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm. so she's like no it's on I said nothing is on anywhere I'm like I'm going to sleep I don't have time for this then I watched the whole clip I'm like oh that's actually really cool um I think it's because and I know like Vice is doing a lot of this and I will openly say uh years ago I did an interview with a band in Norway called Enslaved and whoever mm. the person was that claimed they interviewed them took my video interviewed and transcribed it Oh my God. Yeah, they changed it around, but I don't think it's up anymore. I think a lot of people are striving for the coolest, one of the coolest eras, like the 80s and 90s, because we're in this yeah. sterile cancel culture. Nothing was really canceled then. Nothing was really um, boring. I mean, look at all these band shirts and tour shirts, these Metallica shirts that are coming out. Like all my shirts I have are from yeah. the 80s and 90s and they're real from actual shows. Yeah. So I didn't buy it at freaking hot topic, but I don't know. I just think we're an obsessed with an era that was fun and great. And we had different things and different people that were really cool and interesting because now what do you have? You have people doing this with the phone. Oh my God. I'm like a star. No, you're not bitch. You're just right. taking the phone and popping it up there on YouTube. And yeah. you know, it's, it's not individual. It's not personalized. It's not fun to watch you have you can't say the light side of the 90s because no one wants that they think that like drugs and trash talk tv and incidents in a wrestling ring are dark no that was just everyday life and it was cool now you just got to be sterile in what you say or you're going to get canceled you know i'm still yeah. waiting for alec baldwin to put in his two freaking cents about nra rules like why isn't he canceled and have you seen his wife's instagram photo she no. has the light hair like Helena Hutchins like if you look up mm -hmm. Hillary of Baldwin's thing which is really creepy you know and I just keep thinking about that whole incident with that woman it's just so sad but why am I bringing it up yeah that's like it's like they're canceling people left and right right yeah. like why hasn't anyone canceled him but you're gonna get canceled these days for speaking up on stuff and like going after things and people back then we didn't give a shit we went after you I didn't care <laughs> exactly because now fun. there's there's a muzzling of uh, society for fear of cancel culture but that doesn't seem to necessarily live online because online people will just go into anonymous mode and try and tear people down try and start these pile-ons if yeah. you had if you had done what you did in the 90s today <laughs> Where would you fit into society? Would you be cancel proof? Would you be potentially in danger of being canceled? I, I'm, I think that we are so in need of, of shock culture today. I, I, I know. You I'll know. tell you, what, I don't think I would have fit in anywhere because number one, mm -hmm. it would have, it wouldn't have been, it would have been all over the internet instead of being something where like you can't buy it and actually look at it and like go through it. It wouldn't have been highly publicized. 
Um, cause you're not one of, what are those plastic headed sea donkeys again? Um, the Kardashians. So like, you're not one of them with some guy dressed up in a pink tutu at a wedding or whatever the fuck he was wearing. So yeah. I don't know where it would have fit in. It would have fit in as very, oh, you're degrading yourself. You're degrading women. You're doing this, you're doing that. Maybe it would have been canceled, but it would have had some attention, you know, had it mm. not have been done before. Um, did you did you face a lot of that? You're degrading yourself uh, after getting <laughs> yeah. that world record after yeah. that that 300 yeah. person yeah. gangbang. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so just like people people say shit. Then you go into San Francisco, and so, there's some woman. She saw me. She was with like her little young kid, and she looked like she's straight out of like a low rent trailer park. She's like, oh, um, I, I was just crossing the street to get my hair done at the hair salon because yeah. that's what I do once a week or twice a week. Um, she's like, oh, you know, I know who you are. I'm like, okay. I said, is that what you do with your life? You just watch like TV in the middle of the day. And, uh, you know, I never really had women's groups come after me. I had a women's group come after me when I made a remark about Alec Baldwin's wife on Instagram, but I thought mm. it was completely valid. You, your husband just shot someone accidentally, but you're there like putting photos of your freaking heinous spawn all over mm. with their Halloween costumes and yourself. So all I put on there was maybe you could teach yoga lessons after the lawsuit. And I'm sorry, I just had, I just, I couldn't help myself. Okay, am I gonna get canceled for that? I don't freaking know, but it's true. Mm. I mean, you don't do that. Like Travis Scott, at least he played it smart with his festival. And I know like I'm obsessed over this whole thing, but I'm not that obsessed over it. I just, it or just irks me with people and the hypocrisy. There's a lot of hypocrisy out there. and. You know, with women saying, oh, we're supposed to uplift each other. Okay, so let, let's get to that now. You're going to uplift yeah. each other. Hold on a second. Um, You're going to uplift each other, but how are you supposed to uplift each other when, um, you know, everything there is just like everyone just ripping each other apart at the same time? Like, how does that work? You it mean can't to be productive. This? It can't yeah, be well, productive. Well, they're not productive. They're not productive because what they do is they, uh, uh, hold on a second. Okay, what they do is they don't uplift each other. They're on there like judging each other deep down. They're not uplifting each other. And when they do that, they want to do it on their terms, like what they think is uplifting and how they feel you should be. And there's a lot of stuff like that going on um, in society. For example, uh, you know who Tony Robbins is? Of course, of course. What of do you course. think of this stuff? Uh, well, Tony Robbins, I, I've never actually done one of his courses or been to one of his live seminars, but he approaches his work like a rock star and it's very powerful from what I've heard experiencing Tony Robbins conjuring the fireball and throwing it out into the audience. Like, I'm aware that there's pyrotechnics at this man's show, okay? It's, it's a big spectacle. So many girls are making the money off of these empowerment and motivation things. So that's what you're making the money off. People who've been hit hard from a pandemic and then mm. they need to go into this whole thing and they don't know what they're doing. They're not giving you the life experience like this or like that. And they're trying to mold you into like whatever you think you sh they should be or their version of the perfect woman. And yeah, I mean, back then you had, you know, women making their stupid catty remarks. But the thing is, these things to me just go in one or out the other. And mm -hmm. to be quite frank with you, I don't really listen to people who don't have much of a life story. So yeah. 
for example, if Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, <laughs> was talking somewhere versus Tony Robbins, although I've seen Mike because I actually read his book. It's called uh, From Crackhead to CEO. Mm. And I don't care about his politics. I just think he has a really great story. He was like toothless in Mexico <laughs> with nothing. Then you come back to your to where you're from and you build this whole freaking like <sighs> empire. And he mm. makes the best towels, by the way. Does he? Does he? Yeah. No, they're um they're still soft after you wash them, but they absorb super well. And then I got his free book when I ordered his towels. I would have bought one anyway. I bought one that was signed. Yeah. That it was assigned to me. And just this whole story. Now I'll go listen to if he had a motivational thing about motivating yourself to do something, I'd go see him. And that's the thing. It's like people could say what they want to about me in these stupid feminist groups, but you guys are like a bunch of fourth wave feminists who've gone around bashing people all your lives because they don't, you know, you just don't necessarily have the guts to do anything that I may have done or want to right. do and will do. And usually right. if I so, say I want to do something, I do it for the most part. It, it, it makes me, it makes me question, uh, do you call yourself a feminist? Uh, what is feminism to you? Um... Do you ever read, read uh, Camille Paglia? Yeah. I uh, love her. The Run with the Wolves. Yes, the yes. Women yes. Who Run with the Wolves, yeah. Tramps and Vamps. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I would say the definition of feminism isn't what we're doing today where we're just focusing too hard on to this and to that. It's just, you know, doing things in your own terms. And yeah, I would consider myself a very um, old school feminist, a very original feminist, uh, not this what they're doing where they're castrating boys and men and they're doing so in such harsh terms, you know, and I understand the whole, you know, putting limits of things with people, but there's certain ways to do things and, you know, I, I feel like too much emphasis is put on other things that should be going elsewhere like mm. too much and you know, you don't play the world, you don't play that card because you're a woman, you didn't get this, maybe you just weren't qualified. And when you start doing that, you make the rest of the women look bad. And secondly, when you sign an NDA, regardless of who it's with, abide by that. Because when you don't, you push back women's rights. And actually, you push back doing business with a woman by five zillion years, because mm. now you're saying, hey, regardless, I'm not going to take any contract seriously. So tell me why I want to sign a contract with you if you're not going to mm. take it seriously and you're going to sue me. So yeah, it's just, I know I went on my, my, uh, my whole rent. I do that. I, I, I mean, I, I encourage it. I encourage it on this show. Uh, stigma. <laughs> can we, can we, can we talk a bit about stigma in your days as a public, you know, yeah. public facing sex worker versus it today? Sure. Um, how do you feel it's transformed or perhaps I don't I don't know what stigma was like necessarily in the 90s because I wasn't working then, you know, so <laughs> it is a reality today. Uh, what's your thought on stigma then versus now? Um, what are the stigmas now? I think they're more harsh on people these days. And I feel as though they don't understand you're over freaking 18 years old and you know what you're doing. No one has a gun to your head. No one has a knife to your throat. Or maybe they do, but we don't see it. So mm. stop like pushing people down who want to do like sex work nowadays in any medium. It doesn't mean that they're trash. It doesn't mean that they, um, that someone's forcing them to do that. Oh, you poor girl. If someone is, there's so many resources out there to stop that. 
mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's just me. I wasn't faced with any of that. Everything I've done in my life, I've made that decision without coercion or anything like that. I mean, everything's usually been my idea <laughs> and they're bright ideas. Yeah. And, and, and you, because you have all of these transformations career-wise in your life, I'm also curious to know, have you ever had a challenge in the fight for legitimacy upon making that shift out of say porn and into wrestling and porn? I think they go pretty well together. Um, but, but at any point in the pursuit of seeking a different career path, has there ever been a fight for legitimacy based on your history in the porn business? You know, I've never really felt it before. I mean, I've done, I think just with acting in general, they want to see where you're at really with things. So I kept going at it. I actually had my implants taken out um, a few years ago by an amazing doctor. Mm. And because I wanted them out anyway, I can't walk around with 36 triple D's for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, that gives you back problems. Um, and, you know, just doing the work and committing to it. Uh, with wrestling, I didn't really have a problem except, you know, with these far right Christian fools like mm-hmm. Ted Turner with WCW. Mm-hmm. Those are like the right wing nut jobs that I yeah. don't really like because they're so Christian and high on themselves. It's like, let's go into your background and your past and what should you do? Right. And then you go into like, it gave, they gave me a hard time. But at the same time, you have girls that were like working at strip clubs and were, um, you know, yeah, people that are doing a lot of other things that they would have considered horrible and uh, untidy white that didn't give me a chance. And I don't give a shit. I had the best chance ever with ECW wrestling and it opened up other doors. So, you know, people will always use me as some kind of reference to um, a scandalous person because I don't hold back if I want something done. I keep my mouth shut when I have to. But if I think something's wrong, something's wrong. I'm going to say something. I will raise a stink about it. And I'll usually fight for everything that I want till I get it. Uh, yeah. If I don't really fight or care about something, then yeah. that's that. It's like, it's not that relevant to, um, you know, me or my uh, life. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think I've really faced anything. I mean, you've got this invincibility about you that is very potent when you speak mm-hmm. to Jasmine St. Clair. And when you look at your life story, which I encourage everyone watching and listening to please dig deeper and we will get all the info of how to find that. Um, I know you have some great projects that will be speaking on that. But when you when you look at the scope of your life, how many times that you have just dove in head first, whether it's in the ring, whether it's on the screen, whether it's, is there anything that actually scares you? Yeah, doing improv sometimes because you're stepping onto a stage with people you really don't know. And then you you have like a live audience outside of you and you don't like, I don't like, I don't like people. I don't want to ever see people when I'm standing on a stage performing my show. I don't want to see them. And it's not that I don't appreciate them. I just don't want to see them. So that's why I have super bright lights. Yeah, it's like stage fright. It's real. Like it's a real thing. You could have been doing porn. You could have been stripping on a stage, but it's a real thing when you're out there speaking or performing in a scene. I remember at Second City, I had this one girl in the class. Like I got so used to being on stage. It wasn't a big deal after a while, but there's one idiot in the class. And I have no clue to this day how she got into the conservatory. You never start or do an improv scene that's transactional because then the whole scene Mm. there's nowhere to go from there unless the person in it with you builds off some kind of relationship which I had to do but this girl would do it on purpose 
And I just felt like this one second where I just wanted to like run off the stage. Another time, you know, it was a sold out um, show. There's a section of Second City called a grad review, which is like all the way to the top. And I, mm. I made it there and I graduated. But there was one scene where like I forgot a line and I'm just like on there on stage. I'm like, wait, everyone's looking at me. Now what the fuck do I do? I was ready to run off. It was like this close, but I didn't. Then I had like, I mean, they're just certain moments where I've just been scary. You know, my one woman show, when we did the workshop performances at Second City in LA, there's this girl like just sitting there, that side of the stage, you know, on stage left. I'm like, why is this bitch looking at me like this whole time? I'm like ready to just jump off the stage and like pull her hair up, but I didn't. So after the show, I'm standing out in the hallway with my friends and my friend Nico is there. I'm like, what is her problem? Like, I saw him talking to her. I'm like, why are you yeah. talking to her? Like, why is she here? Ask her why she's there and why she's staring at me on stage. She's like, well, you're on the stage. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I said, well, well, who is she? How does she come to this? What, how does she know us? He's like, she takes classes here during the day and she saw that you had a show here. I'm like, oh, never mind. So it's those embarrassing moments. I mean, that's the only time I'm actually really scared is walking onto a live stage. And I think it's something a lot of people experience because you don't know how people are going to react to you. And yeah. um, I don't give a shit if I polarize anyone that's out there, then you pay to come to a show and you just have to sit here. If you don't want to, then get the fuck out. I mean, you're right. on my show in New York. I when we had the whole podcast debut and those two, like, I don't know if they're boyfriends or lovers or whatever, but then they said something about someone else. And then yeah. Lisa was going to knock them out, which would have been great, by the way. Um, well, as I, as I recall, there was a gentleman that asked if you, uh, may I repeat it? Yeah. May yeah. I, yeah. The, I, I believe at the Q and a at this, yes. um, at this, this staging of your one woman show in New York, a gentleman raised his hand and then stood up and asked, uh, have you ever been involved with sexually, uh, uh, President. President Donald Trump. Yeah. And he would not let it go. He was so certain that there was a truth you were withholding from all of us. I, it was crazy to see how yeah. obsessed he was with getting an answer that obviously you flat out gave your answer, but he wanted to say there was a different truth and he needed to hear that from you. Right. You know, it was very uncomfortable. Oh my God. Totally I thought asshole. it was great. And I don't know. I mean, now that I think, I don't even know what the guy looked like. I don't know if he knew someone that might have known me and he was just yeah. trying to mess me, which is possible. And I really don't care because I, I think like this time around, we'll have security at the show. We didn't have security then, but I will be, um, yeah. you know, bringing in my own security, be it, you know, people from a bike club or anyone I know that are my friends that are just going to come there that will throw your ass out. But I, yeah, I'm like, whatever. Some people need that fame, but didn't he get punched out or something? I forgot. He got, well, he got, he got walked very um, <laughs> assertively out the front door. And, you know, there was a couple of folks that uh, staff members of the, the venue that were walking him out. But don't forget about three steps behind them was Lisa Ann, arms right. in the air I saying, know. you better get out, you better get out. So. I mean, it was a wild moment, but I would imagine anytime Jasmine St. Clair steps up and offers herself this way, you're going to have some wild moments, some thunder and lightning. Yeah. I mean, during the actual show itself, the actual theatrical performance is coming right. back in September. That doesn't get tolerated. You know, that really doesn't. And it's a very, it's a vulnerable, it's a, a special, it's a very special vulnerability 
it takes to go out on a stage and do any of this. Yes. And am I a selfish artist? A hundred fucking percent I am. And, you know, it's all of us are. So if you've mm. done life theater, you'll, you'll understand there's a real, um, there's a real fright to going out there where you get like dry mouth, cotton mouth, uh, <laughs> your stomach drops to the ground and you're kind of shaking. And you yeah. do have that out there because you're out there by yourself. In an yeah. improv scene, you have other people in a, an improv team that you can play with. And, you know, you always have someone there to, um, to have your back. Because I, mm -hmm. I was in an improv troupe for a while pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. which is fun. I'll probably do it again. It was cute. There's something very profound in the reality that you shared with us today that, you know, public speaking in a solo setting with a visible audience is something mm -hmm. that scares you. And yet we talk about your number one big, beautiful project that is once again going to hit the stage, a weird kind of fame. Can you tell us uh, a, a little sizzle about what this show is and uh, what people can expect from being in that audience? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know what they can expect because I don't watch <laughs> the show from that side. I'm, I'm not one of them. I perform for them and whatever they do. I, I do know that after the show, I always have people coming up to me divulging certain things about themselves. I don't necessarily want to know. You know, but I know that I, I've encouraged people to come forward and talk about their lives. I don't know. It's like I never even really anticipated doing a show. It just mm. I forgot. Uh, oh, it was Lainey Spicer, this publicist in New York. That's everyone's friend. Uh, I was going on to the SDR show and um, I think I was hosting an improv show for someone one night and someone said, oh, you should have a one woman show. I'm like, yeah, OK, sure. But I think it's it's really good because people get to know you and they know that your background isn't like anyone else's. But it, it, mm. it takes me it takes everyone from a journey from childhood up until New York City through Europe throughout the 80s and 90s to present. And it goes into this whole trying to drop Jasmine and kill off Jasmine in order for the real person to live and how she could even be killed over in a place like Scandinavia. Like we're talking miles and miles on the other side of the world where people still know you then it just you know so what do you do now like how do you parlay this into another phase of your life and like let's face it like my life's half over and that's totally cool I want to keep going and going and doing everything that I know and that's what, that's what I'm going to do and uh yeah. you know the show could be performed in like five different languages so I want to go to Montreal. I want to go to France and do it. I want to go to like Portugal or Brazil. I have fan bases all over the world. I believe Just it. When I was married for like two years, uh, how long was I married to that bitch for? Uh, what was it? I forgot. How long was he? Oh, like less than a year. It was an LA punk ass bitch. But the thing is, um, basically my branding was torn down. And, you know, I discussed this with my girlfriend the other day. I was telling her about this because she's in this weird dating situation. I said, you're going to end up hating yourself if you give up everything, if he starts making you throw things out and doing this and doing that, you're going to hate yourself. You know, and I specifically remember being at like chiller horror convention and my husband at the time was sitting there, well, put your real name on the poster. I'm like, oh, fucking people don't pay to see that shit. Okay. Oh my gosh. So then he threw out a bunch of posters at LAX and we got into a fight there. They let me go on the plane, but they didn't let him go. Um, yeah, it's just like a series of things that happened that really shut down my branding. And I think I was just trying to become someone else for someone else, but that just doesn't work in this life. Uh, mm. so yeah, I mean, I, it's about reclaiming Jasmine and what, you know, living in that whole shock culture era, there's a lot of AV, yeah. 
Um, you could tell the show is worked on. There are like costume yeah. changes. That wig is so high and so 90s and so big. I'm just hoping it survives the plane ride. So I have Boston, Laugh Boston, September 14th, uh, the 16th of September, um, the cutting room in New York City, then the 20th, the Annoyance Club, the Annoyance Theater in Chicago, which I'm excited to do as well. Uh, the person who's a theatrical director said, yeah, your story deserves to be heard. So in each mm. city, I have a different comedian opening up for me. So mm. in New York, we have Eric Oldney. Um, I would like to get Chase Del Rosso, but he's busy, of course. Or like Ilya Janine one day. Then in Boston, I don't know who it is. In Chicago, um, I want to get like, I'd like to get like a, an LGBTQ member for that mm -hmm. to open it up. That's a comic because I think it'll be really fun. And they have a lot. I think they have drag shows there sometimes. So I'm just I'm hoping I get someone really cool like that because that will be yeah. cute. I think it'll be yeah. fun. You yeah, know? it's it's from from what I saw that night at the cutting room, you really grant full access. And that is yeah. remarkable. You 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 open a vein for your audience when you're up there and you're speaking to us. So thank you for that that access, that vulnerability. And I know everyone watching and listening right now is saying, "Oh my God, how do I get in touch with Jasmine St. Clair?" So what is the website? What are the links? How do they learn all about uh, what you're up to? I gotta hire a millennial to like do that. All my <laughs> links or something. I mean, you kids today, but anywho, um, you kids. Uh, okay, so it's a weirdkindoffame.com, the website. If you go on Instagram or Twitter, it's there. Uh, then there's also Crazy Train Podcast on Apple, which is crazy with a K, Crazy Train Podcast with Jasmine St. Clair. You've been on it. I have a lot of people on it, all kinds of different um, yeah. people from all different walks of life, really. It's fun talking to them. Uh, then... Do I have a website? I think it's official jasminesaintclair.com or real jasminesaintclair.com. Then I have Instagram, the real Jasmine St. Clair. Jasmine doesn't have an E. Claire does. Same thing, Twitter, Jasmine St. Clair. I mean, being me is a full-time job. You should totally get this. And it reminds me, when you were at the show that night, that show, by the way, for anyone that went, it was just to launch the podcast. I hadn't practiced right. an actual one-woman theatrical show in a while. So we gave something else. But each show does have a Q&A after it. Um, if you misbehave, I will cut your head off and put it on a stick. My friends saw you that night. One of my, my the, the guidos that were like, oh, you're very beautiful. I remember it was so funny. You're like, oh, thank you. I'm like, what do you tell? Like, don't talk to her. Ill. No, I didn't say that to him. It was just so funny when he said that. I said, this should remind you of the girl in Rocky. He's like, oh, yeah, she's gorgeous. I get it all the time. That is my oh, yeah. number one. Brigitte Nielsen all the time. Rocky four. Rocky for Catherine Catherine Heigl right now the eyes all, all the time Heigl eyes right now all the time but Jasmine uh, you're a delight thank you for sharing yourself thank you for being on the podcast today and um, I, I can't wait to see how everything else unfolds because you are definitely gripping that steering wheel you are in control of it my love thank you for being here Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait for this to come out and yes. I'll see you soon. <laughs> I'll see you so soon. And I will, of course, let you know when to expect this. We're going to launch it real quick. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Take Thank care. you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening. Make sure you like, favorite and subscribe to this channel. I'm Laura Desiree. This has been Licked and Loaded. We'll see you back here real soon. Bye.
This has been a CAM4 radio production. Come say hi at www.cam4radio.com.